0: Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Chapter 1. A Letter to My Younger Self. If I could go back, what would I say? Don't worry about others. Make your own way. Within this chapter, I explore an activity that I found very beneficial And suggest everyone should try it at least once. The exercise is writing a letter to your younger self. This is an important step as so much of who we are comes from the past. In order for this to be truly beneficial we need to be completely honest with ourselves. Lying to your younger self isn't going to help you move forward. The letter isn't something that you have to show anyone else. You can burn it after you write it if you want to. The point is that there is power in the written word and power in you writing it. If I didn't believe in the therapeutic power of words, I wouldn't be writing this book right now. A quick and simple search on Google of writing therapy comes with many websites explaining different types of therapy using writing, the consensus being that writing helps in therapy. Writing is not a replacement, but tool or enhancement to the process. During my research, I found an article called The Power of Writing, Three Types of Therapeutic Writing, written by Margarita Dertofsky, M.S., From the website www.psychcentral.com that shares some compelling insight into the reasoning behind why writing enhances therapy. Below are a few of the phrases from that article that really stood out to me. One of the most powerful parts of therapy is cultivating the ability to observe our thoughts and feelings. Writing helps us track our spinning thoughts and feelings, which can lead to key insights. Writing is speaking to another consciousness. We come to know who we really are in the present moment. When you use your hands to pen or type something directly from your brain, you are creating a powerful connection between your inner experience and your body's movement out in the world. In a later chapter, I will discuss therapy in more depth. However, I will say that in my first appointment with my therapist, she had me writing out my feelings. She wanted me to explore the connections between what I was feeling and what was happening in my life. Life can feel like it is spinning out of control, and sometimes the only way to gain control back over it is to put a voice, or written words, to it. The mind-body connection that the last quote is referring to is so important. I'm a yoga teacher as well as a kickboxer, and the mind-body connection I have gained from doing yoga has helped me be a better kickboxer. With that concept in mind, you can see how the act of writing things down helps make another connection between the mind and the body to help us become better people. In college, when I would study, or even just while taking notes in class, I needed to write it down. Many people in college just record the teacher speaking but I needed the action of writing it out. Not typing either. I needed to use a pen and paper. This helped me to retain more information than I did from just listening to the lecture. Now that we understand how important the act of writing is, we can dive into the activity. There are no right or wrong ways to complete this exercise. There are various formats that you can follow. So choose whatever feels comfortable for you. I've written several letters to myself because there are things I wanted to say to myself at different points in my life. Near the end of the chapter, you will see two more examples of a single letter written. Do whatever you feel makes the most sense to your situation. After each of my letters, I give you context as to why I wrote what I did. This isn't part of the exercise, but rather for you to see how it works. However, since there isn't a right or wrong way to do this, if you choose to write some context afterwards, that's okay too. Dear 10-year-old Randy, I know that things are changing. I know that grade 5 is a big deal to you. I want you to enjoy this year. And I know that you will, but I also know that this will be a turning point in your life. This is the year that you meet your first bully. After years of having fantastic friends and a great school life, this year won't be nearly as easy. When the new girl comes to class, you will try to be nice to her, but for whatever reason, she won't like you. That's okay. I repeat, it is okay that she doesn't like you. Up until now, all of the girls in your class have gotten along, which is an easy feat when there are only five of you. This new person will shake up the dynamics that you were used to, and you will feel it deep in your soul. Change is difficult, but it is a part of life. This is a lesson you will soon learn. But I want you to remember to keep your head held high. This too shall pass. You will make it through this year, and the next, and the next. And life will get better. You will have an amazing life. Sincerely, 33 year old Randy. I went to a very small elementary school, that only went up to grade six, which meant being in grade five was a big deal because you were near the top of the food chain. Of course, in this school, it felt like all grades got along. It was a very small and nice community. Unfortunately, as time marches forward, the school I remember is no more. They shut my school down and eventually turned it into an alternative school. When I was in grade five, a new girl started in my class. As time passes, memories fade, but emotions stick with us. I can't remember everything that happened, but what I can remember is the fact that she picked on me. To this day, I don't know why she singled me out. Maybe it was because I was poor. Maybe it was because my clothes were secondhand. Maybe it was because I was a teacher's pet. I can admit it, I enjoyed school and wanted to participate in all aspects of it, which can look like being a teacher's pet. Whatever the reason was, I will probably never know. I have to be okay with not knowing the reason, so that it doesn't fester and bring me down now nearly 20 years later. At the time, it felt like this new girl was stealing my friends because she didn't want to include me in anything that they would play at recess. I was left with none of my usual friends. Being excluded was an awful feeling, but one that I could handle, if that was the only problem. What really got to me was the song she made up and sang making fun of me. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Bart sings a song teasing Lisa. Well, This girl changed the words out to be teasing me. It was a catchy tune and The Simpsons was very popular. And so this new song caught on quickly and the other kids started to sing it too. That is what really got to me. That is what made me start to hate school. I could handle one person being mean. Really, she had no bearing on my life as I didn't really even know her. But when others who I had known for years started to join in, that is when it got too hard to handle. It started to feel like she was turning everyone on me and I was never going to have friends again. Why would they join in unless they believed it too? The words even started to ring true to me. If everyone else believed them, it must be true, right? Why she felt the need to rewrite a jingle and make fun of me, it's still beyond my understanding. But what I felt was real, pure, heart-crushing sadness. That was the first time I truly felt awful about myself. I couldn't help but wonder if the things she said were real. Did I really smell? Was I really ugly? No, no, no. None of what she was saying, or rather singing was true. But at the time, it felt like it was. It was a very personal attack on a very small impressionable child. Nowadays, they say there is a no bullying, zero tolerance rule. Although if you have read a mother's truth, you know that doesn't hold very true about words. But when I was in elementary school, it wasn't seen as bullying. It's just words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Except that isn't true. And we know better now. An article from www.verywellfamily.com, written by Sherry Gordon, gives some great insight into how words affect people. I've pulled a few of the points that she makes that really resonates with my situation. A, a victims' sense of self, over time, name-calling, and other insults can slowly eat away at self-esteem, And the victim will no longer see herself realistically. Affects a victim's sense of well-being. Name-calling causes noticeable changes in personality and behavior of those impacted. Impacts a person's identity. When a bully calls another person a name, they are attempting to control how others see the person. Encourages internal criticism. Name-calling often leads targets to take on the names as reality. Hearing that song repetitively slowly ate away. Or erode, as Sherry wrote in the article at my sense of self. Hearing something over and over can make us start to believe that message. That is the reason why positive affirmations work. Hearing it over and over again helps us believe it's true. My bully didn't do this covertly, but rather saying it during recess so others heard it too. She was wanting to control how others saw me. Even though I attended school with most of these kids since kindergarten, they were starting to see me through the lens of her words. This led me to second guess myself and internalize negative self-talk internal criticism, which I still live with to this day. I'm not saying this one incident is the only reason I have negative self-talk. Throughout this book, you will learn how other incidents also impact sense of self. But this incident was my jumping off point. The bottom line is those memes did hurt me. Have you ever felt so hurt or sad or upset that you weren't sure what to do? So hurt that you weren't really thinking straight? Well, that was how fifth grade me was feeling. And with that hurt brewing inside, I did something that was completely out of character because I felt the need to fight back. I needed to take the power back that I felt I had lost. I threw a decent sized rock at her. There was no real thought behind the actions. I felt so hurt and cut off from everyone that I didn't know what to do. For the first time, the negative self talk was so loud and demanding that something needed to happen to quiet those hurtful words. I simply wanted the hurt to end and being a young child, I grabbed the closest thing to me and threw it. I wasn't aiming to hurt her, and it ended up hitting her in the butt. As soon as it made contact, I realized that I shouldn't have done it, but I felt like I couldn't stop what was happening either. I didn't know what else to do. I had tried to ignore the taunting and the feelings that surfaced from the hurtful words for what felt like an eternity, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I did the only thing that my 10-year-old mind could think of and I threw rock at her. Of course, I was sent to the office because I physically attacked someone because again, words don't matter. To my knowledge, she was never sent to the office for saying those things about me. In fact, I don't even think the teachers investigated the incidents at all. That's how it was back then. Kids being mean was a normal thing. Kids saying mean things was just kids being kids. It's just words. It was the way it was looked at because words didn't hurt. Only physical actions could hurt. Up to that point, I had been a good student, and had never physically attacked someone before. So the principal gave me a stern talking to and made me apologize. Which I did. Though it wasn't a sincere apology by any stretch of the imagination. I was not sorry for what I did. I was sorry that they didn't understand why I did it. I was sorry that I hurt someone because I never thought of myself as the type of person who would lash out physically at another student. But deep down, honestly... I wasn't sorry that it had happened. I hadn't been taught any other way of dealing with a situation where someone used their words to hurt me and where the teachers didn't intervene. They never questioned how a typically good student who was involved in all the school sports and clubs who helped in the deaf and special needs classes would physically attack another student. I was sorry that no one seemed to want to help me fix the root problem. No one showed me how to deal with this type of situation in a constructive and healthy way or showed me that I was safe at school. Up until that time, I always felt safe at school. After this situation, I no longer did. The feeling of fear and uncertainty at school stayed with me throughout the rest of elementary school and high school. I think that we have come a long way since then when it comes to bullying. I know that there is still a lot of work to be done, but more people realize that words can actually hurt just as much or worse than a physical attack. Many people are now doing research on bullying and trying to break down the how, where, and lasting effects. In order to do that, the researching body first defines what classifies as bullying for the purposes of their research. A study done in the United States in 2014 shed some light on how bullying is occurring. The definition that they came up with for this study includes three components unwanted aggressive behavior, observed or perceived power imbalance, repetitive or high likelihood of repetition of bullying behaviors. I think it is important to note the last component re- repetition of the behavior. A one-off occurrence is not bullying. That's just someone being mean. Not that that is okay, but it does not meet the definition of bullying. The study, which was completed with students of 12 to 18 years old, then finds the following. Being the subject of rumors or lies, 13.4%. Being made fun of, called names, or insulted, 13%. Pushed, shoved, tripped, or spit on, 5.3%. Leaving out exclusion, 5.2%. Threatened with harm, 3.9%. Others tried to make them do things they did not want to do, 1.9%. Property was destroyed on purpose, 1.4%. These statistics show that physical bullying only accounts for about 8.6%, which includes pushed, shoved, etc., and property damage. Whereas verbal bullying accounts for about 30.3%, including rumors, lies, name-calling, and being threatened. And yet, most often, it is only the physical aspects of bullying that results in some type of consequence, showing that more often than not, the individual who is using verbal bullying is getting away with it. This isn't a book about bullying, but this speaks volumes to how the victims are given their justice. They aren't, which can lead to distrust of those around you and those who are your caretakers, like teachers, babysitters, etc., which is why I'm sharing this particular story from my childhood, to show that kids of all ages need help, even when you may not realize that they need it. If someone had helped me identify and manage my emotions, including sadness and anger at the time, I would have handled the situation in a different way. I could have developed different coping mechanisms that would have followed me into being a teenager in adulthood. However, that wasn't the case, and I had to struggle to figure those things out for myself. If I knew then what I know now, that life was going to get so much better, and this was just a small passing incident, then I might not have lashed out. Had I had the coping mechanisms I have now, I wouldn't have been thinking that I needed to protect myself. If I had known then that what others thought of me wasn't important for my future, but being true to myself was important, then things could have turned out differently. However, I can't go back in the past and tell my 10-year-old self these important life lessons But having now written it down, I do feel better about letting it go. Knowing that this might help one other person makes me feel better. And now we move on to another stage in my life. Dear grade seven and eight, Brandy, please don't give up. I didn't lie when I said life will get better, but this time of your life is going to push you and beat you down. So far down, you will think that you can't get any lower, but keep your head up. You will meet a friend in grade seven and you will be best friends all year. You will have lots of fun having sleepovers and dancing to 90s pop music, watching scary movies, and sharing secret crushes. Enjoy this time. And remember that not every friend is going to be in your life forever. Sometimes a friend, even a best friend, is just for a short time. In grade 8, there will be another girl that joins your class. And your best friend from last year will make good friends with her. You'll be okay with this and even try to embrace the idea of the three amigos. But brace yourself. And don't let this get to you but your heart will be crushed. One night while hanging out with your best friend, she will tell you, we can still be friends, but just outside of school. I know your head will spin and you will want to cry and that's okay. But I want you to know that as an adult, you will have amazing friends that will stand by you and won't care that you were poor, that your clothes came from the thrift store. In fact, as an adult, you will compare your great thrift store finds with your friends. Yes, you could buy clothes at a higher end store, but as an adult, you and your friends love great sales and exciting finds for cheap. At a fancy Christmas party, a co-worker of your husband's will compliment your dress, which you bought for $7 at Goodwill. And you will say that proudly, and the co-worker will be excited for you and tell you she also got her outfit at Goodwill. Let that sink in for a moment. At a fancy party, you will proudly wear a Goodwill dress and get complimented on it. So right now, Though others are looking down at you, that doesn't matter. What matters is your heart and that you will find others who like and love you. Love yourself, Randy. I graduated from my smaller elementary school and attended another school that was junior kindergarten to grade eight. This school was much bigger and held two English grade seven classes and two English grade eight classes, as well as grade seven and eight French immersion classes. This school blended kids from my old school and another school with the kids who attended this school previously. Change is hard, and this school was so different than what I was used to. But life cannot stay the same forever, and with each change, we need to embrace it and learn to adapt. Having a bigger school meant that there were more people to impress. Or at least, that's the perception when you were a preteen. No one wants to be teased or made fun of, and we try to fit in as best we can. I was raised by my mom, and she worked hard, but being a single mom can be tough. I never went without In fact, until people in that school started to make fun of my clothes, I didn't even know we were poor. When we went shopping at the thrift store, I thought it was the greatest. I'd get a few new things instead of just one, like my brother, who just had to have name-brand clothes. He was teased far worse than me about his clothes. I can remember picture day in grade 8. I had a brand new shirt, not a secondhand one, from Zellers. It was a silky black button-up shirt with white butterflies up the side. I loved it. I was so excited to wear it for picture day. Now I looked good. Then one of the popular kids pointed out the tag on my shirt. The girl teased me that it had come from Zellers. And I finally realized why my brother was so adamant about wearing name brand clothing. It doesn't feel very good to have someone make fun of your clothes. I went from excitement over my new shirt to being crushed over someone else's opinion. I suppose I was ahead of my time with my thrift store finds. Recently, I asked my oldest daughter, currently 17, who also enjoys shopping at thrift stores, if teens still made fun of others who shopped at thrift stores. She explained that there is more of a divide now. Some people still tease about it, but there are more kids now than before that enjoy thrifting. It is a hobby now, and people are being more conscious of their carbon footprint, and buying secondhand helps to reduce waste. If only I knew that back when I was a preteen. Being at this new school, things were changing quickly. The friends I had my whole life weren't really my friends anymore. We didn't get in an argument, just grew apart. No hurt feelings, just more uncertainty, as going through puberty is hard enough without trying to make new friends. Especially when those new friends decided you could only be secret friends. My best friend and I were hanging out at my house and decided to walk to the corner store for some candy. I don't remember if she told me on the way there or back, but she explained that she still wanted to be my friend, just not when we were at school. Things were never the same again with her because... I knew we weren't really friends. Real friends don't try to hide the friendship from others. When she proposed we'd be secret friends, I felt as though I had just been punched in the stomach. I didn't even know what to think, so I just mumbled something and carried on as usual, but in my heart, I was crying. Why didn't people want to be friends with me? Why didn't others like me? I felt less than. Less than worthy of a real friend. Less than worthy of acknowledgement. Less than a person. It was difficult being at school and feeling like an outcast, devoid of any true friendships. There were a few people who I could casually socialize with, but they weren't friends I would have sleepovers with. I even joined the chess club so that I didn't have to go outside during recess and stand around alone. I was lucky though, because I had friends outside of school, in my youth group. If it weren't for them, life would have been very different. Feeling alone, feeling like you don't matter, takes its toll on your mind and self-esteem. Luckily, I knew I wasn't alone all of the time, just a large part of my day. I no longer tried out for any of the sports teams, which I was always on and enjoyed them. During this time, I started losing me. I no longer felt like I belonged anywhere other than the once a week I had at youth group. However, when each day was beating me down at school and at home, once a week of belonging just wasn't enough to combat the negative self-talk and the sadness that had consumed my being. This is when I started turning more and more inward, I started finding activities that didn't include needing friends at school, like when I joined the chess club. It was a hard two years, which at the time felt endless. As an adult looking back, it was the blink of an eye. I don't even have that many memories of that time because there was nothing truly memorable about that time. Life is so short and goes by so fast that having a bad time, even if it seems to go on forever while it is happening, is just for a short time. We can choose how to view the situation, Should I have viewed it as no one likes me, or as an opportunity to learn chess and become better friends with those that didn't go to my school? It can be extremely difficult in the moment to change how we view things, but it is a skill that we all need and that I continue to work on each and every day. There are various ways to go about changing our viewpoint, and some ways are easier to do than others. Some ways you can complete by yourself, and others you may need professional help in order to get a good grasp of the technique. Throughout my life, the most useful mantra I have come up with is, if this is the worst thing that happens to me today, then I am doing okay. I've had a lot of life-altering events happen in my life. My youngest diagnosed with autism, losing my contract at work, being diagnosed with cancer, my husband almost dying, etc. That now the small things that used to seem big, someone teasing me about my shirt, just doesn't seem to be that big of a deal anymore. Now, when something negative happens, I tell myself, if this is the worst thing that happens to me today, I am having a good day. Doesn't always work, but it does tend to put things in positive perspective. I've also been consciously trying to live in the moment, not letting the past creep in and take my hard thought now away from me, and not letting the future worries overburden my happiness that I have now. We only have each moment once, and if we aren't enjoying the moment in the moment, we aren't going to enjoy it later either. I heard a saying once. I can't remember where I heard it. We regret the things we didn't do. I like this because it reminds me to enjoy the now. I could have let teasing about my clothes hold me back from shopping secondhand, but that would have only resulted in me spending more money on trivial things instead of enjoying the hunt for a treasure with the kids. When I was an employment counselor, I had a client that suffered from extreme anxiety. It held him back from getting a much-needed job. One of the strategies that I gave him was to write down any negative self-talk that went through his mind. Once it was written down, he could explore why it was there, disprove it, and turn it into positive self-talk. For example, I am a horrible cashier. Does this have any truth? No, because I am good with money and am capable of processing customers' transactions in a responsible manner. That was a simple example, but it shows that sometimes our thoughts have no basis in the truth. Turning the negative self-talk into positive self-talk is important. Positive self-talk could be in the form of positive affirmations. This is a strategy that I and other athletes I train with use when preparing for competition. I can remember my first kickboxing competition. I was excited, of course, but also nervous. To help prepare for something that I had never done before, I used positive affirmations such as, I am explosive and I have beautiful head kicks. Instead of focusing on what I couldn't do well, I only focused on what I could do well. As a teen, these strategies could have helped. Instead of focusing on the feeling that no one liked me, I could have focused on the fact that I was smart and achieved good grades. I could have written down the negative self-talk that was taking over my mind and been able to turn those into positives. For example, no one likes me because I am poor and therefore worthless, was negative self-talk that bombarded my thinking. When I dissect this statement to see if there is any truth hidden within, I can clearly see that there is no truth. My mom provides everything that I need to live and enjoy my life. I enjoy receiving hand-me-down clothes and looking for thrifty finds. If others do not enjoy the search for thrifty items, that is not a reflection on my character. If I was to utilize the strategy of affirmations as a teenager, I could have affirmed, I am excellent at math. I have comprehensive reading and writing skills. I'm a fun person to be around. An important note on using affirmations, they need to be positive statements and present tense. I am, I have. A few other ideas that I really liked from an article on www.purposefairy.com written by Raj Rishi include, learn to apply, full stop. Stop thinking over and over once we have learned from our past and decided about our future. Change your thoughts by counting your joys and blessings. Appreciate and enjoy what you already have. Savor the joys of your achievements. Allow yourself to be playful and childlike. Meditate. Focus on changing yourself instead of changing the world around you. Make the best of what you have. There are various methods available to help you work on changing your thought patterns. Not every way will work for everybody. Find what works for you. If you try something that doesn't work for you, instead of thinking you are broken, think, well... Now I know I don't need to keep trying to do that. I will try this instead. Now, we move on to my final letter to myself. Dear teenage Randy, I know I said life will get better, and yet all you feel and see is that has gotten so much worse. You've moved on to high school, which television shows as the best time of your life. But I won't lie to you. It won't be. You will hate almost every minute of it and consider running away or killing yourself. Over the next few years, your world will turn upside down in ways I never thought possible. It will be a lot for a young lady to handle, but listen closely. You can handle it. Even when it gets to be so hard, you don't think you can take another breath? You can. That is the most important message I can give you right now. Is that you can. Mom has gotten married and he has turned out to be a real a-hole. Hang in there. He won't be in your life forever. Your room will act as a sanctuary for you during the yelling and fighting. Go there and hug your kitties tight. It will pass. It seems like all I am telling you is that this too shall pass, but that is because it will. You will grow up and rarely touch alcohol, knowing the awful effects that it can have on a life. You will refuse all types of smokes and drugs and hold your head up high when you refuse it. Don't bend to the will of peer pressure. You are so strong. Your convictions are strong, and that makes you a powerful person. Of course, at times you'll wonder if it is worth it. It is. Don't let go of what you know is right and wrong. Stay the course, because it will lead you somewhere amazing. You will feel completely lost, but you will find your way out. Puberty and the teenagers are a mere blip in your life. The friends you have now are just that. Friends right now. And that is okay, because you will make great adult friends. Ones that accept all that you are. Ones where you won't feel like you're putting on an act just to fit in. I know that is exhausting, and that's why you skip school so often. Faking a smile every day is hard. Eventually, you will find someone who understands that you have bad days, and you won't need to fake those smiles. That in and of itself will make you smile. So please listen to me right now. Don't pack that bag and run. Don't pick up that razor blade. Let your feelings out in a positive and healthy way. I know that as you become a young lady, you will lose yourself. You will forget who you are and what you enjoy. Find your way back. And you will find your way back. We can't change the past. And so I know what you are going to experience is going to be heart crushing. And at times you will want to die, but you will make it through and you will come out the other side stronger. Love yourself. Adult Randy. Being a teenager is hard for most people. Between high school, puberty, and dating, life gets complicated quickly. Teenagers think that they are so grown up and know everything. TV shows that high school should be one of the best times in our lives. But for many, that is not the case. Not even close to the case for me. I've had some pretty trying times in my life, but high school and being a teenager was by far the worst. I joke with my husband about our teenagers right now saying, so glad i'm not a teenager anymore when i was in high school my stepfather was a drunk it was a horrible person when drunk and he was drunk most of the time that is the unfortunate reality for alcoholism which is also a mental health problem that needs attention most people are really nice when they aren't drinking but when they are drinking they are a completely different person i can remember one christmas when he threw the christmas tree and broke it i was up in my room at the time and started to hear yelling downstairs After the yelling stopped, I crept downstairs and noticed that the nice new tree was not where it had been set up. My mom, being the amazing person she is, still tried to make the best of it. She put the top of the tree, it was an artificial tree, into a large cardboard box, so it still stood up. I can't remember what the yelling was about or who was involved, but ultimately, that doesn't matter. The memories that I have from being a teenager are all very much the same, yelling and loud noises. To this day, I can't stand when people yell because it brings me back to a time when I was a defenseless young girl, someone who couldn't stand up for herself or her family. It is an awful feeling to live with. The next morning when he was sober, he apologized, but it's not much of an apology when he continued to get drunk and abusive. I've always said to my youngest child, I don't want to hear I'm sorry. I want to see your actions show you're sorry. So don't do it again. Saying sorry is a nice gesture, I suppose. But ultimately, after the fifth or tenth or hundredth time of someone doing the same thing, sorry just doesn't cut it anymore. Those are hollow words, unless a real action to try and change happened. Those were my teenage years. My mum trying to make sure that her, now ex, husband didn't get so drunk he got abusive and yelled or broke something. I don't know everything that went on with them. What I do know was that he was not a nice drunk that I felt that my mom was caring more for him than for me. That was a very hard pill to swallow because I've always been, and still am, a mama's girl. I was always close to my mom and liked spending time with her. She was a single parent for most of my life. I saw my dad on weekends, but that's not the same as living with a parent full-time. As a teenager, it felt like my mom wanted nothing to do with me. If it wasn't her ex-husband, it was my brother doing something equally, if not more, awful and she would have to go to his rescue or play referee between them. I felt like my mom only cared about my brother and my stepfather. I was stuck on the sidelines, and it felt like she was trying to forget my existence. When I needed my mom the most, it felt like she wasn't there. When I was crying into my pillow or my cat's fur, she wasn't there. When I thought about killing myself and needed someone to talk to, she wasn't there. As a teenager, that simply added to the feelings of loneliness and despair that were already taking hold. The life I knew as a child where my mom would tuck me in at night or watch a scary movie on the weekend with me was gone. Replaced by a life of being pushed to the side and forgotten about. As an adult, I have dealt with some of these emotions and thoughts. Therapy is a great thing. But it still hurts to think back on those days. I know that she didn't mean for it to go that way. She was just trying to find someone she could share her life with. She deserved to find that. To find love. Everyone should find someone they love and can share their life with. Being alone isn't what we are here for. Unfortunately, that's not what she got. I've talked to my mom about some of these feelings. When she reads this book, she might learn a little bit more. There are two sides to every story. I've just given you my side, my pubescent teenage perspective. After talking to my mom, I was able to get some insight into her perspective of that time. And being privy to that has drastically changed my perspective. During that time, my older brother was experiencing a lot of troubles of his own. And mom thought he needed more attention than I did because I was a model student, grade-wise. Mind blown. I had never thought of it that way before. And I don't think I would have even understood it before had I been told. As a parent of a neurotypical child and a child with autism, I understand how one child can need more attention and it can seem like the other child is being forgotten. My child with autism needs more attention Because he needs help with everyday activities that my neurotypical child is much more capable of doing on her own. As children, we don't understand that our parents are giving us attention based on our own needs. We just see our sibling, our step parent, getting all the attention when we aren't getting much at all. After a long talk, my mom and I both understood each other a little better. Communication is an important part of life, an important part of helping my mental health to stay positive. That is why my letter to my teenage self is about persevering through the storm that I face. Writing this letter really reminded me that there are times in life that I feel horrible, but it's only for a short time. It reminded me that I'm strong and capable. I can't go back and change the past. I can only change how I think about it. Was it a horrible time in my life? Yes. Did I want to run away? Yes. Did I want to take my own life? Yes. So how did I make it through? Sometimes I wonder that myself. Those bad days were really low and almost felt like my soul was being eaten away. A main reason I persevered and continued to persevere is my faith in God. I have a strong Christian faith. and knew that God would see me through the rough times. It was still hard to trust in him when every thought that crossed my mind was to just end it all. Youth group was a safe space for me. I had friends there that accepted me and didn't talk behind my back or make me feel less than. We were all the same there, and that was something I couldn't find at school. Even the rare friends I had at school didn't seem to understand the pain that I was in. To be honest, I didn't really want to share it with them when their life seemed so perfect. I'm sure they weren't perfect, but perception is everything. I don't fault them for not knowing my innermost thoughts and feelings. I put on a great act, and they were just teenagers too, going through the same puberty and life changes as me. My pets helped me during the hard times. I'm a cat person, and always have been. I struggled to express myself and my feelings for as long as I can remember. When I was upset, I would hug one of my cats and cry into their soft fur. They didn't tell me how I should feel or judge me. They just purred and loved me. That's unconditional love. Some days that made all the difference in the world. Pets are amazing therapy all to themselves. That's why people train them for service. They are amazing. Of course, writing also helped. And still helps. Whenever I was in a low state that is how I describe when my depression is rearing its ugly head, I would take out my pen and notebook and write. I still love the feel of actually using a pen on paper that a typewriter or computer just doesn't give me. There's something therapeutic in the motion of it for me. And of course, getting the words out helps me to process my feelings. I would usually write poems, which is how Thoughts of a Wanderer came into existence. I couldn't bear the thought of throwing out all my poetry, but I also didn't want it to collect dust in my basement. I still write poems when I feel overwhelming emotion. The nice thing now is it isn't always a poem about depression or death. Sometimes, just sometimes, I'm able to write a poem that is uplifting. It's rare, as writing during a low mood comes easier. During low mood, the words flow because it almost feels like I'm someone else explaining my mood. I've always been better at expressing myself through the written word as opposed to speaking, which for those who know me might seem odd, I can definitely be a chatterbox. Even if you don't want to turn your writing into a book or even share it with another human being, if it makes you feel better, even a little, then you should write. Not to advocate doing this, but something else that helped me a great deal was skipping school. It is not something that I would suggest for everyone, but to be totally honest, it is something that I think really saved me. Now, let me explain this further before any teens read this and then they can just skip school. I felt like I couldn't go to school. With everything happening there, I felt like the burden of going to school would have killed me. I just couldn't eat in the halls alone anymore, or trudge through classes by myself. So instead, I would skip and stay home. At first, I would go out the door in the morning, wait for my mom to leave for work, and then go back home. Then, one day my mom called me panicked because the school had called her and said that I wasn't there. I was caught. red, Handed. I was so worried that I was going to be in trouble. But I wasn't. Well, not in big trouble, anyways. My mom wasn't as upset that I wasn't in school as she was upset because she didn't know where I was. She had been worried that I was hurt or kidnapped. As a parent, I now fully understand the panic a parent experiences when they don't know where their child is. However, at the time I thought, I'm 14, I know everything. She told me that if I was going to skip school, There were two rules I had to follow. One, I must stay home so she knows that I am safe. Seemed like a good deal to me. Two, I couldn't fail any of my classes. No problem. All I needed was my work and I could do it at home. I followed those rules throughout high school and graduated. I didn't get the best grades because I just didn't care and didn't apply myself. I passed, as was the agreement with my mother. But truly, I was just going through the motions of life rather than actually living it. Nowadays, there is something called school refusal. Wikipedia.org explains it like this. School of refusal is the refusal to attend school due to emotional distress. School refusal differs from truancy in that children with school refusal feel anxiety or fear towards school. Whereas truant children generally have no feelings of fear towards school, often feeling angry or bored with it instead. This described my situation much better than just skipping. There was an underlying reason why I wanted to skip depression and anxiety. I'm so thankful that my mom accepted my school of refusal and that I was able to complete most of my schoolwork from home. Not to say I never went, but more often than not, staying home was better for my emotional well being. My youngest child, who has autism, has a lot of school of refusal. I took the lesson from my mom, and don't fight with him about it. Fighting would just cause more anxiety and stress. Instead, I'm able to make sure he does his schoolwork from the house. I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. And I realize every situation is different, but what I want everyone to understand is that there is often an underlying reason why a child might not wanna go to school. Something that goes beyond, I hate school because it's school. Again, it comes back to communication being key. If this is something that you're struggling with, either as the parent or as the child teen, then talk to someone. It won't get better unless you communicate your feelings. After high school, my life got so much better. I still struggled on a daily basis, but I was better able to recognize the bad days. Even now when bad days hit, I have the support of a loving husband who helps me get through it. The things that seemed important in high school just aren't anymore. I have a great life now, and even though depression is still part of my everyday life, I'm not trying to hide it from those around me. I've even learned that hiding it makes it worse. Because it takes so much extra energy to put on the I'm fine face when clearly I'm not. I have started to embrace that part of myself and even try to use it in a productive way. Like this book. I hope that it may help even just one person, whether with their own mental health or to understand another person with it. Maybe that is the reason I have depression. Who knows? What I do know is that I will continue to share my story with others. Here is another example of writing a letter to yourself from one of my closest friends. Dear younger me, I've thought of doing this many times and many times I've started, but I just never saw it through. Why this time? I'm not sure. Maybe because it's about time. Maybe it's because it's long overdue. Maybe it's because there's no time like the present. I don't know. All I know is here goes. You will always have a preoccupation with the passage of time, always calculating your own age and the age of others at different times in history and in the future. You'll experience difficulty with living in the moment, with being present. This will cause you suffering. It's the unnecessary suffering and the amount of time you spend being convinced you're not enough that breaks my heart for you. Your preoccupation with time passing, by the way, is nothing more than anxiety, which many people have, not just you. There are ways to get over this kind of anxiety. Some simple ways are just to remember to breathe deep from your belly or to repeat positive phrases over and over in your head. I'd like you to feel seen, heard, and appreciated by older me. I know that you feel you have a way of making yourself visible to the adults around you, that they only seem to notice you in order to demean you. I'd like to tell you that you have worth just because you exist and that your worth is equal to everyone else's worth. You have perfectionistic tendencies, which means you expect yourself to be perfect all the time. This makes living difficult because nothing is, in fact, perfect, despite appearances. Being a perfectionist means that it is difficult for you to understand or practice self-compassion. Do you know how kind you are to animals or to children that other kids tease? Do you know how you defend those who are unjustly picked on? Do you know how you stand up for what is right? You should do that for yourself. You're worth just as much as those people who you help, who you show compassion to without question. That self-doubt that is always echoing in your head, I'm not sure where or when that started, but it is a bullshit illusion. In the same way that you have the same worth as everyone else, you can do and try whatever you want to, just like everyone else. The self-doubt that weighs you down is just a bit of worry that has gotten out of control. And it's normal to be worried that things may go wrong or may not turn out exactly as you'd hoped. The fact that things will often do this is just normal life. Despite all of this, you are okay. I want to tell you to keep cultivating your creative heart. When the adults around you make negative and discouraging noises, do it anyway. Here's news. Adults can be assholes. Especially when they see something in you that threatens their own self-concept. They will say things out of their own fears and self-doubts. Their comments aren't so much about making you feel as badly as you can, as they're about making themselves feel better, whatever the cost. Most of them will forget what they've said to you rather quickly, and that's why you shouldn't hold on to their words either. You believe words have power and meaning, and they do. Most adults will throw words around like they're weightless ping pong balls. These adults are just trying to get through their days, uncaring of the verbal swath they cut. You should let them do that, will you live your beautiful life? You are observant for such a young person. So just observe. And then try not to decide that their words and actions mean anything about you. They don't. You are you. You decide what that means. You are good. You are enough. With so much love, respect, and compassion, older me. One last letter to share with you and show how they are all different, written by my amazing aunt. Dear younger me, where to start? You know that old saying, if I only knew then what I know now, I would have done things differently? Let me tell you now, younger Cassie, you only have the control to change a few things in your life. You did not have control over everything and therefore could not change your childhood. When you were really young, something happened that traumatized you because as an adult, you have very little memory of your childhood. But it's okay. You grow up to be a strong, caring, loving woman. Let's start back at age 10, when you clearly remember the last fight your mom and dad had before they separated. Your mom let you and your two youngest siblings live with your dad and his very young girlfriend with their baby, your first half brother. Your two oldest siblings lived on their own. You lived with them for a couple of years until your dad had enough and took you to live with your mom, which made you feel that neither of your parents wanted you and you did something wrong listen you did nothing wrong you were only a child being a young child you had no control over these situations you had to live where you were told and with who you were told jumping ahead a few years into teenagehood where life just got crazy yes most teenagers do make choices that they would love to change hopefully we learn from those mistakes you always helped out the underdog you were not one of the popular kids You just kept to your schoolwork so you could graduate. Congratulations on that. You had a great friend that you hung out with. Her dad was always out so you could do all kinds of things with your friend. Sometimes those things were bad choices like stealing, drinking, and trying drugs. You can thank God because you did not get addicted to anything when you lost your direction in life. Fast forward again to after high school graduation when you moved in with your good friend and her grandparents far from home. Your life changed again. And you could not change the outcome. It's the first time you saw death. Your nephew passed away at 16 months old. And your brain could not handle it. You felt empty inside. Why did that happen to an innocent baby when you were not behaving and did not want to live? You will think, why wasn't it you? During a party one night, you will decide that God should have taken you and not your baby nephew. You'll make a scary decision and swallow a bunch of pills, which was not enough to kill you. It just made you sick to your stomach because you won't understand mental health and your mental illness until you're an adult. These actions made sense in your young mind. But let me explain this to you right now. You are not alone and you don't need to suffer in silence. Seek help and talk with others. You survived all this and came back home to live with your boyfriend who became your husband because you met him far away from home. You thought he really must want to be with you because he moved back to your hometown. Moving forward to marriage and parenthood, you have two beautiful boys. After the second son was born, you found out that your husband cheated on you, and you separate. It was very hard to accept, so your sister took care of the boys for you until you figured things out. You were not figuring it out that great right away, as your whole world had been turned upside down. You then turned to parties and alcohol again. But remember, you are not alone. Your guardian angel will be with you throughout this time and all of your struggles. Your sister could not take care of her children and yours too, so you had to smarten up. Again, God got your attention by putting your youngest son back into the hospital for a couple of days and you went in with him overnight. He was about a month old when a strange accident happened to him. He had a very long hair wrapped around one of his toes. It was so tight that the toe was blue. He had to go into the hospital to get the hair removed and make sure there was no infection. Then you got to take him home again and that is when you realized you can do this single mom thing that no matter what, you loved your boys and you would make it through. But wait, you do some more not so positive things that you could have controlled. You go out on dates, which isn't bad within itself, and party again to find out that the men you dated were not the type to help you raise your family. But don't lose heart. You end up marrying when you get older, even old enough to be a grandma. We'll get to that later. During this time of dating and partying, you meet a man that moves away on you and you were not part of his future. This would have been another bad choice if you did move with him because he also ends up finding someone else when he moves. Another setback. But you pick up your life and raise your boys on your own again. And that is okay. It is okay not to have a man in your life. Better to be without one than to be with the wrong one. Give yourself permission to be alone until the right time comes. Which it will. This is when God finally finds you and your life changes for the better. This does not mean your life gets any easier. It's just you finally realize you're not alone. You have to be strong to raise two strong-willed boys, and they are very strong-willed. They both grow up and do good in their own ways. You won't realize that your oldest needed some help with his mental health in his teens, too, because you're not educated enough to see the signs of mental health. He gets kicked out of school, meets a nice girl, and has a baby boy. Wow, now you're a grandma at a young age. But you are so happy and proud of this little bundle of joy. Now you're not only a mom, now you are a grandma, and a few months later, you become a wife again. You meet a nice Christian man, and God puts you two together, and you get married, just in time for what is to happen next in your life. You buy your first house together and move in during the winter months, doing well until your oldest moves back in with you, bringing his family. Then his wife leaves him and their son with you and your husband. You won't know how to help, but just let them live with you. Now you are helping to raise your grandson. Your youngest will then meet his wife and get married and move out. What I'm trying to tell you, younger me, is that there are some things you can control and others you can't. The things you could have controlled were the friends you hung out with, the bad habits you tried, and the man you married the first time. What you couldn't control was your childhood, how your parents split up, your marriage splitting up because he cheated on you, and the state of mind you go into in times of your life. Not knowing anything about mental health or talking to someone at an early age so you could have gotten professional help through your younger years made it more difficult. As an adult, you will understand the importance of talking to professionals and even taking medications that could help. We can't change the past, but what I want you to know is that I forgive you. I forgive us. I forgive me for the choices that I made. I have learned from my mistakes and continue to thrive as a wonderful human being. Love yourself, older Cassie. We can't change the past, but we do need to live with it. Everyone will deal with their past and traumas in different ways. Writing a letter to yourself is one way of doing this. From the three people that wrote the letters in this chapter, you can see that there is no right or wrong way to complete this activity. Whatever feels right to you, just remember that you survived whatever it was that you went through. This is a way to make peace, forgive yourself, and to embrace the you of now.
1: Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors, go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com, check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have, check out their books. That's what the point of the uh, podcast is for so people can discover new authors find some new books they love support the authors so they can continue writing so please support them and if you do like the podcast if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer i've got some links also at the website click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that i talk about everything that i have there is something i use so i've got an affiliate link again it's a little bit if everyone